You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Say It Loud Network presents Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show, Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith. I'm excited because, as I've promised you, I will do every week. I'm bringing you interesting guests. Some you may know, some you may not know, but all of them have the common theme of being successful in their own way. And what I want to do with these conversations is take you behind that wall to find out exactly what it is that makes them tick. Find out what their secret sauce is that has given them the opportunity to be who they are and what they are. So sit back, relax, and take notes. Kevin Frazier, you know him. He is the prominent host of Entertainment Tonight, an icon in the entertainment media space, and he has a story that I want you to hear. Thanks, Kevin, for joining the show, man. Good to see you. Listen, great to be here and have this conversation with you because, um, you know, we've talked, but we've never really had a chance to really, really talk. Well, good. I'm glad you said that. So I want to go back a little bit. I mean, everyone sees yeah. you every night on the number one show in the country, and they know you for interviewing all these big celebrities and your personality. But let's go back to kind of where all of this started. Take us to, you know, I want to know Kevin Frazier when he was 10 <laughs> years old uh, and what well, life was like for him. You know, what's funny is my father was a basketball coach at Morgan State University. Um, he ah. was at University of Illinois, Delaware State, and then Morgan State University. So as a kid, I was immersed in the basketball world, and it was it was my life. And, you know, I think sometimes even when my dad saw me, whether it was on ESPN or whether I was, you know, here at Entertainment Tonight, he used to think, he used to think back, he'd be like, I wasted all that basketball knowledge on this dude. <laughs> he should be coaching basketball. But um, really, that was a large part of my life and what, you know, mattered. My mother was an athletic director at a local high school. So every day, every single day was filled with activities and games. And, you know, my mom coached the the women's basketball team at her school. So if I wasn't at her practice, I was at my father's practice or a game or something like that. So it was always such a huge part of my life. Did you not like basketball? Did you play basketball? I love basketball. I played basketball. I was all right. I had a little gas in my tank. But, you know, the things that I remember is that my father used to let me sit on the bench next to him, which is wow. crazy when yeah. you think about it, when yeah. you have a 12 or a 13 year old sitting next to you. And so because of that, I listened to the strategy, the things that were going on and what was happening. And so it gave me this basketball encyclopedia. My father, uh, you know, when he came to Morgan State, it was like most black colleges, you know, he had great players, um, but there wasn't those, there wasn't a tactical program. Yeah. And um, he put together a great team with Marvin Webster, the human eraser who played <laughs> for the Knicks and Seattle Supersonics. They won the Division II National Championship. And um, I was around to see the heyday of black college basketball and black college sports, the ending of that. So getting to see that was something unbelievable. It was amazing. You know, something I've always said when it comes to sports, and I teach my kids this, as I try to explain, because sports has always been a big part of my life, by the way. And I've always said how important sports are, not for the trophies, but because sports teaches you so much about life. Sports are a microcosm 
of what life is really like. And, you know, you have all the battles. You have uh, man versus himself, man versus nature, man versus man. You learn how to fail. You learn how to work hard. You learn how to put the extra uh, time in to get ahead. When you are around sports like that, did that help shape kind of your mentality, your can-do-it mentality? 100% because... You saw the ups, the downs, the good times, the bad times, the winning, the highest of highs. Um, You know, there's nothing like winning a national championship when you're at this tiny little black college. And but there's also the times where you had to go out and get your butt kicked by big schools. So it was a it was a lesson in kind of like this is the way life is. And they're going to be a few really high highs. And there'll be some good times, but there are going to be some bad times, too. And you have to deal with those. And to get to any of that, you have to work really hard. You have to be willing to outwork anybody else if you really want to get to the the pinnacle and have success. You have to be willing to put the time in, the hours in. And it's interesting. I don't see that now in some kids, you know, as they're coming up and they're like, I see you on entertainment tonight. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, well, what you didn't see is me in Charleston, South Carolina, carrying Mm. a camera and Mm. sweating like a crazy person or in Baltimore, Maryland, carrying a camera and sweating Mm. like a crazy person. And so each one of these steps in life is important, just like in basketball or any sport, each one of the steps you take to get better and improve leads you ultimately to your goal. College. Talk to me about what it was like going to college. What Where was your head going to college? Huh. So I believed that I was like, listen, I'm one of the five greatest players on the planet. Um, <laughs> and I wasn't. I learned a quick lesson about that. And, you know, went to Hampton and then Morgan. And it was interesting because I went to Hampton because my mother and my great aunt went there. And I was doing a summer. I was doing a summer somewhere. And my mom said, hey, I just want you to go and spend the summer at Hampton and see what it's like. And I got down there and I was standing with one of my good buddies, my neighbor, another dude named Kevin. And this girl from Philly came and picked him up. And she might have been one of the five finest women I'd ever seen. And I was like, that dude didn't even have a date for the prom. And now he's rolling with you. And I was like, I love Hampton. I'm here to stay. This is the plan. Hampton's the place. And it, it, you know. And that's the the interesting thing is like um, being nurtured by my father working at Morgan, going to Hampton, then going back to Morgan. And the, the black college experience was special for me. Mm-hmm. And it was special because you are in this comfort zone that loves you and helps nurture you. And um, it's it was just important to me. My mother went to Hampton. My father went to Tuskegee. You know, my aunts both went to Hampton. Uh, my great aunt went to Hampton. So it, it's always been important, I think, that, you know, we lose sight of how important these black colleges are. But they are a breeding ground for some of the greatest talent on the planet. You know, it's amazing that you say that because, first of all, as a kid, I was a big basketball player. And I actually went to a camp at Morgan. State University. Julius Irvin, Dr. J used to have his camp at Morgan State. In the Hurt Gymnasium? Yes. You would? Oh, yes. That's crazy. Yeah, I was that's crazy. I was there as a kid. And what's interesting is that you talk about historically black colleges. I had just the opposite experience. I went to all predominantly white institutions, Ivy League schools, um, yeah. several of them. And it was a very different experience. And I never forget the first time um, when I got older, um, going to Howard, because Howard is, you know, the yeah. place to be going to Howard homecoming. I was at Harvard. So here I'm coming from Harvard going down because... This is what black people do, right? And it was just a very interesting experience for me because I was not accustomed, first of all, to seeing so many people like us who are in education, 
who are doing well, who are driving nice cars, who speak the King's English well. It was a foreign concept. I was vastly in the minority up in Cambridge and I come down here and there was something beautiful about it. Honestly, it felt because, you know, I would be up in the yard sometimes. I'd be the only black kid crossing the yard. Yeah. And yeah. to go down to Howard's homecoming and you're surrounded by people who look like you and, and talk like you, it just was a wonderful experience. You know, it's what's interesting about that is, is that, you know, as a young kid, I was in that environment all the time. And so I was like, this is what's normal to me. When I think of college, this is what I, I think of. And and then also the relationships that are still intact today. You know, when my father passed away last year, we had a ceremony and a big funeral service at Morgan. And all the folks that were there, all the players that came back, it was amazing seeing all these guys and just like, you know, talking to them and hugging them. And it was like your family. And that's what that's what it feel. I, I feel like that's the black college experience. You know, when you when you think of that. But I do have to tell you, listen, there's something I, I can't skip over part of the story. <laughs> so while I was a senior in high school, I get this girl pregnant. Wow. She has a baby. We uh we signed the baby up for adoption. Wow. And. I, you know, we're like, okay, well, that that's that, you know, a couple adopted him. And they actually, after, you know, the first like eight months, they sent us a picture of this little boy. Hmm. And so about a year and a half later, I come back to the Columbia Mall. I'm walking in Columbia Mall. I go in McDonald's. I was going to go in the record store to buy some CDs. And I said, let me just stop in McDonald's for a second. And I pop in McDonald's and I see this lady sitting there with this little, and I look at that little boy and I'm like, Oh my God, I know who that little boy is. I know who he is. And so I said to the lady, look, I'm not trying to cause any trouble or start anything. I think you might know who I am and I think I might know who you are and I don't want any problems. And we actually had a great conversation and you know, I, I, we ended up becoming friends and I'd go over to their house every once in a while, but you know, we didn't see eye to eye on everything. So, you know, go off to school, life happens years later, I reconnect with him and we spent a day together and I said, listen, you know, you're getting close to that age where you get out of school and when you get us, when you get out of high school, then we'll, we'll figure out what's next and we'll try and come together and saw him at, as a matter of fact, at an event at Howard, we were at, we went to an, and I invited him to drive down to the event at Howard. And I said, Hey, look, what are you doing? Cause he was, he had graduated high school and his parents said, not a school kid. He's got a job as a mechanic at Miller brothers, Chevrolet in wow. Columbia, Maryland. They said, he's just going to work there. And I said to him, I was like, listen, I understand that you have this life here and you're working as a mechanic right now, but what if we just tried this thing out and you move up with me in Connecticut and you try going to school? Mm -hmm. I'll get you in school. We'll make it work. Let's see what happens. And everybody's like, you're crazy. Don't mess up his life. He's he's making $50,000 a year, changing brake pads. And I, <laughs> and I convinced him to do it. And he came up and... Um, started this crazy life together. And uh, it was one of those wild experiences that you have in life that, you, you know. So how old is he? Jesus, now he's 36. Yeah, because I'm 56. So 30. Oh, gosh, he's 37 now. He just turned 37. Yeah. So, well, so, so when you first saw him, how old was he in the mall? He was a little over one. When did you when did he find out you were his his biological dad? Maybe. It was, I think it was years later. It was years, years later. It wasn't at that time when he was little. It was just like, oh, hey, that's Kevin. Wow. And I really stepped aside. But then once he learned that I was his dad, it kind of 
like I went to see him when he was 15. That's when we mm-hmm. really, really reconnected the first time. And I remember we just kept staring at each other. We went down, I picked him up. We went down to the, um, the Smithsonian Museum and we just kept staring at each other all day long. Like when we were eating, we'd just be looking at each other, like watching each other eat, watch each other walk. <laughs> and it was crazy because we were so much alike. Yes. We were yes. so much alike yes. and it was freaking us both out. But what we learned when he moved in with me, when we tried this grand experiment, grown men trying a grand <laughs> experiment, we learned that we may look alike, but we have lived very different lives. Mm. And so our relationship was about getting back to square one where we could understand each other. You've grown up, your children know you. They've known mm-hmm. you since they were babies. They know when you look this way, you mean this, you've been here, you've done that, you've done this. We didn't know each other. Mm. So we looked mm. alike, but we had no idea about each other. So here you are, um, you had a kid um, end of high school, you're going to Hampton, place to go. When does Kevin Frazier say, you know what, my calling is in front of the camera? So I'm at Hampton. My father is um, my father's coaching. And I took a journalism class and I, I loved it. And I thought, hey, this is fun. This will be a fun thing to have when I become a basketball coach one day. And um, I come in to do the sports report that day for the local TV station for Hampton. And I open the USA Today and I see that there was a big forfeit. I was like, who who walked, who took their, pulled their team off the court at Virginia Union? Oh, that's my dad. (laughs) Pulled his team off the court at Virginia Union. So I said, okay, all right, all right. So I did that sports report that day about that, what happened. And it was so much fun. And I realized I really liked this. And um, I thought that maybe one day I would do this. But I was still focused on basketball. It was after I was out of school. And I- Did you play at Hampton? Yeah, for this long, six and a half seconds. But what was what was the um, the turning point for me is that I was working at the Pentagon in the National Military Command Center. Mm. And inside there, it's secure. And um, we would make these broadcasts for the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And so I would go to work. Then I go up to Morgan for practice. Then I come back to the Pentagon at night to learn all the equipment so that when I came in the next morning, I could be proficient at it and they'd have to let me use the equipment. So at that point, I realized I really like this. Mm. And an opportunity came up in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm. And my grandparents lived there. I drove down to Charleston and I wanted to work at the station in Charleston. It was um, producing the real estate show. You know, that Sunday real estate show. This beautiful four bedroom house has, you know, (laughs) six bedrooms. I was like, I'll go out, I'll shoot it, I'll produce it, I'll voice it over. This will be a great job for me. And the guy I was supposed to see was sick that day. He wasn't there. The news director saw me and he said, hey, do you know how to shoot? And I was like, yeah. He's like, I'm going to hire you as a cameraman. And I got hired that day as a cameraman at WCBD in Charleston, South Carolina. And even though I almost got fired the next day because I was that bad, it was the beginning. And it's when I really, really fell in love with this business. So, you know what, one of my, something I, 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 that just struck me at the very end was when the guy said to you, can you shoot? And you quickly said, yes. Could you really shoot? Or did you just want the opportunity? Barely, barely, barely. I was like, listen, I know enough. I know how to hold the camera. I, I got this. I got this. And um, I went out the first day. He sent me out. He hired me. And then the next day he sent me out with this, with a woman named Shelly Smith. She would go on to be a correspondent for ABC News. And uh, yeah. she actually works as a publicist here now in L.A. But um, they took me out with Shelly. And Shelly just kept looking at me saying, what are you doing? What are you shooting? What are, 
what are you doing? And then she came back to the newsroom and I saw her slam the door and I could see through the glass her screaming at my boss, be like, he doesn't know what he's doing. I can't believe you hired him. He doesn't know anything, blah, 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 blah. And my boss just came out and said, we got a lot to learn, don't we? And I was like, yeah, we do. got some work to do. But you know what, Kevin, though? You know what? That is so important that I try to express to young people, don't be afraid. Sometimes you got to yeah. take a chance. And if yes. you're going to take a chance, take a chance on yourself, right? And that's what you mm-hmm. did. You took a chance on yourself. And then your boss, by the way, took a chance on you because he knew you weren't proficient, but he didn't give up on you because he probably had to respect that you were not afraid to say, yeah, I can do it and then figure it out. And my boss came to me and he said, listen, you're going to work every day with our new reporter who used to be a photog. His Mm. name is St. Brian, and he's going to take you out. He's going to train you. And I went out with St. Brian, and he wore me out every single day. He would (laughs) yell. He'd be like, why are you taking that shot? You're supposed to be over here. This is how this has to look. This is how it edits together. And at first, in the first Two or three days, I went back in the newsroom and I was telling one of the other guys, I was like, I think when we go out today, I'm going to fight him. I'm going to fight him because he talks to me like any old way. (laughs) But what I realized is he was just trying to help me get better. And it's something that I try to tell young folks all the time. Sometimes the message may come out harshly, but think about the result. And the result was that this dude made me a hell of a shooter. He made me really proficient at what I could, what I, um, what I was doing, and I appreciate it to this day. But guess what, though, Kevin, you were able to take that the way he delivered that message to you. You were able to accept it because you had grown up on a basketball court hearing coaches yes. yell and scream at players and seeing them respond by working harder to try to fulfill what the coach asked them to do. Right? Yeah, it, it it is as a small child. I like I said, I was next. I was near my father, so I was in the locker room. I heard the words that came out of his mouth and the mm-hmm. screaming and yelling. But I understood that when we got in the car to drive home, he talked so fondly about the people he had just been yelling at. That's right. He talked That's about right. how much he loved them. He was on the phone with their parents at night. He was making sure that you know they were coming over Thanksgiving and taking care of them and and giving them so much advice. And so I realized that sometimes when somebody's yelling at you, they're yelling at you out of love. Mm. It's okay. Mm. Don't let that mess with you. Kevin, people see you on television. They see your billboards. They see your promotional videos, but they don't see what it took for Kevin Frazier to become the Kevin Frazier they see on TV. Uh, Listen, I was in Charleston, and when I was in Charleston and I was the cameraman, my goal, my career goal at that time was to become the weekend sports anchor in Charleston, South Carolina. If I had gotten that job, I would still be there today. (laughs) And, you know, from there, I went to Baltimore um, my news director in Charleston moved to Baltimore and he said, why don't you come? You can work at home. You can come back to your home city. You're still going to have to be a cameraman, but I'll give you some run on the sports show and stuff like that. So, I mean, I spent four years in Baltimore as a cameraman doing a sports show on the weekends and then finally got a job on camera in Cincinnati. But during that four years, I was struggling to find a job. I wanted to get on air. I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. And I'll never forget. A job came open in Richmond, Virginia. And a guy called me and he said, this could be your, this could be the job for you. And I I drove down in my little Volkswagen rabbit down to Richmond, Virginia, (laughs) got down and I was like, I'm about to get this job. And I walked around, you know, talked to everybody. And then I went in and I sat down at the desk and I mean, I was awful. I was brutal. (laughs) And 
<laughs> the lady who was the news director came in and she said, let's try one more time. Let's give you another chance. That was, you know, you're getting used to everything. Sat down, did it again, blew it up again. She called me in her office and she said, hey, Kevin, you're a really good cameraman. And sometimes that has to be enough. That has to be good enough for you because you'll always be able to find a job because of this skill. And I was like, okay. And I got in my car and drove home, cried, cried because I was like, I blew it. I blew my opportunity. But then the next day I went back to work and I said, when everybody leaves the studio tonight, I'm going to sit down and redo the sports cast. And I would do that three times a week and I'd redo the sports cast. One other guy would help me. He would get the camera going and run the prompter and I would do the sports cast. And then I would do hold the camera and run the prompter and he would do the sports cast. And we do that late at night instead of going out and hanging out and kicking it. That's where we went. And eventually I had a tape good enough that I got a job in Cincinnati, Ohio, being the weekend sports anchor at a Fox affiliate there. But it was it was not easy to get just to being in front of the camera. Mm. It was a tough it was a tough, tough road. I tell people all the time, particularly young people, I say, let me tell you something. You got to put in the work, period. Yes. Yes. If you want to be yes. great, if you want to be successful, it doesn't come natural. You got to you may have some you may have some natural gifts and some assets, but at the end of the day, you still have to put in the work if you want to be one of the best. If you want to understand this TV thing, I always kind of equate it to regular basketball and end one basketball. You see the dudes <laughs> from end one and they're doing all these fancy tricks and they're throwing it off the backboard and dudes are ducking. You're like, that's sexy. But really, the guys who are making the money are the ones with the fundamentals who understand how to play the game of basketball. And it's the same with TV. People get so enamored with they want to be on TV. And it's not about being on TV. It's about learning how to make words and pictures work in a way that it then appeals to the public there. And you have to be able to put those words and pictures together. I am so thankful for my time as a cameraman because I understand mm. how things should be shot, where they should go. I, I, I'm a, I still edit to this day. Mm. I edit stuff. I, you know, I understand how to put up a live shot. I understand how the control room works so that sometimes when people are trying to run game on you or do something that's going to mess you up, you can say, wait a minute, that's not right. I was at Comic-Con in San Diego and they set the they we were getting ready to do the Star Trek premiere and they had this big jib that was going to swing on me as I introduced everybody and they would walk down and I I, I talked to him and then they walk off and I looked at the jib guy and I said, "Do you realize you are shooting dead into the sun? You have a black man and you're shooting into the sun. Do you understand you'll never see me?" I will, mm -hmm. you will, they won't know what is there. They'll just mm -hmm. know there's something there making noise. And it's like we're 20 minutes out and they have we have to flip the jib around and reposition it. But thank God I knew that before the disaster happened. Well, the lesson of that story is when you start at the bottom and you mm -hmm. learn your craft from the yeah. very beginning all the way to where you are at the top, then you not only become great at your craft, but you now are knowledgeable about the whole industry. I, I, I listened to you talk and I, I asked myself, what was Kevin Frazier's moment of enlightenment? When did you realize that you really could be something? Um, hmm. That's it's interesting because I always felt like it would happen if I just keep going. But I never sat there and said, this is the thing I have to get to. And when I get there to this moment, I've made it. And mm. every time that I've taken a step, I always feel like 
Now you have to go out and be the best at this moment there is. And until then, don't think about nothing else. Don't worry about nothing else. So, I mean, there were a couple of times where I was like, this is pretty crazy that I'm, I'm in this moment that I'm yeah. getting to do this. But I'll never forget, I was working at Cincinnati, Ohio, and the the um, television critic, I was the weekend sports anchor, and I also was calling the University of Cincinnati basketball games. And the TV columnist said, hey, we're gonna write a little article about you. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, you put a little blurb in there, and you know, I was like, okay. <laughs> and he came over, he said, I'm sending a photographer over to your house. I didn't even think it through. I have on sweats the whole time. You know, I'm taking pictures and sweats and everything. And I opened up the picture. I opened up the paper on Sunday. And on the front of the calendar section is this massive picture of me. And it says anchor on his way. And all these folks that I work with, like Tom Brennerman and Joe Buck and the, the folks mm. from my station, all were saying, oh, this guy is destined for all these big things. He's going to do this and he's going to do that. And, you know, he's doing NFL right now. He's, he's doing NFL sidelines and all these things. And at that moment, I thought, like, I, I didn't even think about it. I was just worried whether I was going to be able to do the, can I do the midnight news on Monday sure. and fill in for the yeah. main guy? Yeah. And so at that moment, I stopped and I thought, okay, well, maybe something's possible but you got to work harder, man. You got to dig in, and I got to really dig in if there's a possibility or opportunity to go bigger. Let me um, let me close out with a few questions, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, of course. What did it? What was your? Can you tell me specifically when you started doing TV? What did you look at as your dream job? What was the big job for you? My dream job was like one day being the main sports anchor in a big market. That's it. I mean, I I never thought about anything more because I was like, that's where I'm going to get to. Each time I took a step, I saw a little bit further and a little bit further. I mean, I'll never forget when I worked in Cincinnati, a guy named Brett Haber, who now works for the Tennis Channel, but Brett got his job at ESPN. And we went out with him on his last night in Cincinnati. And he said to me and my buddies like, you guys, you be somebody. And I thought to myself, I was like, damn, Brett's going to ESPN. I was like, <laughs> Okay, I'm going to be somebody. I got you, bro. I got you. And so every time it ha you know, you take a step and you're like, yeah. oh, wow. Last week I got to do NBA on TNT. And it's like I watched that show. I'm the fool who sits up and watches the entire show late into the night. That's right. And I was sitting, and when I walked out there, I was so excited when they called me. But when, I, you know, I got to fill in one night for Ernie. And when I was sitting at the desk, I usually have these moments where I was like, Damn, how did we get here? Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. yeah. And you just soak it up and you enjoy it. And then, you know, you. I had that moment with Tom Brokaw. I was in the field covering 9 11, and Tom Brokaw was, you know, back in studio at 30 Rock. And I can hear him in my IFB, and he throws to Dr. Ian Smith. I'm like, holy cow. Like, Tom Brokaw just <laughs> called Dr. Ian Smith to the country. It was, I mean, you know, luckily I'm, you know, I'm a pretty cool guy. So I, I did my thing, but inside I was like, holy cow, Tom Brokaw is announcing me. Like it's, it's crazy. Right? right? Like it's, it's a, it's a moment that you're like, I can't really tell you how this feels. Cause I'm tripping myself. That's I'm right. tripping. Like hopefully y'all don't see how much I'm tripping. That's right. Like, That's exactly you know, right. and, and by the way, I'm sure for you, this whole journey has been crazy too, because I mean, people see you across the country as like their doctor. I can't tell you how many times I've been called Dr. Ian, just so everybody know. knows. Yeah, a thousand times I've been called Dr. Ian, which, by the way, blessing in disguise. But um, Me too, me too. It's cool. It's got to be 
like heady, trippy stuff. Oprah, it's got to be crazy stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, it is. You know, I, you know, I like to work honestly, so I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. But every once in a while, I tell people you have to look at the landscape and appreciate the landscape. So I'm very grateful for my career. I know you're grateful for your career. Yeah. I want to end um, by asking just a few questions, and one is, what does success look like to you? Boy, that's funny you say that. Success to me looks like sitting in my backyard watching my boys do their basketball workouts. Success to me is, um, you know, sitting down with my friends and enjoying uh, an amazing moment. Success is being able to, you know, I was um, with my wife and we were in Paris. Mm -hmm. And she, at, when she was a little girl, her grandmother had this dream of Chanel. And so we went to Paris and we went into the Chanel store. And I was like, get a purse. Get a Chanel purse. And she, in her mind, like I was watching it and I was like, this is so much fun because I see the more for her, like what this means and how she wishes she could call her grandmother, just sit with her for a moment. So, I mean, success is all these family things because yeah. I, you know, it's these, these moments and, and all the moments I get to share with different people. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. There's some, this is the it. We, I do something called the random seven. They're okay. very quick questions, and you just okay. get fast answers, and you know whatever you think is what it is. Here we go. Yeah, the first and question. by the way, I do want hold on. I do want to say this: success is also this because the two of us being able to do this right now, it's unbelievable. Like you know, I see you on the doctors, and I you know people I know make me excited when I see them yeah. on TV. Yes. So watching you, like I don't know if people understand what it means for a black man to be fronting a syndicated television show like The Doctors. They don't under, I don't people like, and so I see it and I appreciate so much what you're doing and what you've done. So it's this, it, it means the world. Hey Kevin, guess what? Our road is not easy. And yeah. I know we make it look easy. And I know we get a lot of the spoils of being where we are. But like I, t and I'm telling you this, and you know this, every day there's a fight. And I have to fight every day for all kinds of reasons I won't get into, but I have to, it's not easy. No one lays down and says, oh, wow, you're Dr. Ian. It's it's a fight every day, but it's a, it's a fight worth having. And yeah. I do it not for myself. I do it for my kids, my family, and the kids behind me. That's just how it works. That's how I think in life. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, here we go. Um, yeah. The random seven. What do you own that's really expensive, but you don't feel guilty about? It's really expensive, but I don't feel guilty. I don't, um... <laughs> <laughs> What, 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 what were you going to say? Yeah. I, my, the amount of camera gear and cameras that I own is ludicrous. I mean, I have so many expensive cameras in my, and I'm telling the world, uh, but uh, yes, I have a lot of expensive camera gear and it's crazy. It, it makes no sense and it drives my wife crazy. Okay. Which person or celebrity did you always have a crush on and why? Well, I loved... I, I love and basketball is one of my favorite movies. And the first time I saw Sanaa Lathan, <laughs> I lost it a little bit. Well, there's two, it's two people that I really lost it a little bit. Sanaa Lathan and Halle Berry. Um, Halle Berry came to an award show and she had on a, a, a jacket that split at her belly button. And I started to interview her and I started staring at Halle Berry's belly button. And she finished answering the question and I was still staring at her belly button. And she just said, you know, I'm done answering the question, right? And I was like, look, let me just be honest. I was staring at your belly button. I, I, I'm tripping. 
And she laughed. And she laughed. Good. I met her too, by the way. I wasn't staring at Billy, but but I was staring at her though. Um, <laughs> right. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. If you weren't working in the current job that you have as a host, what would your dream job actually be? One of two things. One, as a basketball coach, without a doubt, I'd want to be a college basketball coach, or I would want to be a, um, or I'd want to be like a travel, uh, uh, a travel kind of, uh, I'd, I'd like to host a travel show. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that, by the way. We love to travel with my family. Um, yeah. Yeah. Where's your favorite place in the world? Where's in the world? Where's well, your favorite place to go? Jeez. Oh, Africa. I mean, what? I mean, I love Africa. I love all of, I just, We've been in several countries in Africa. I just love safari. I love safari. It's crazy, right? Everybody who is wasting money going, you know, somewhere close, but still spending a gang of money, save your money and go on safari. Yes. Save your money and just go to Africa. Yes. Life-changing. It's, it's right? my best trip ever. I Listen, I've done Paris and Rome. I love Paris, Rome. Right. I get all that. Safari is life-changing. Um, okay. Um, who would you like to have a long dinner with who you haven't met and why? Okay, a couple people. Michael Jackson, definitely. Malcolm X, definitely. Yeah, I, I think you, those two would be at, at the front of the list. And I'd just like to understand what they went to. Oh, and also John Johnson, who um, yeah. who started the Johnson Publishing, uh, Jet, Ebony, and all that stuff, that he came about in a time where he was the first to ever do it. So John Johnson would be high on the list, definitely. Can I tell you something real fast? I don't want to interrupt the yeah. random seven. When I was graduating from college at Harvard, and I've always loved the honorary degree recipients. It's extremely prestigious. Yeah. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance at Harvard. Who gets the honorary degree? And when I graduated, John Johnson got an honorary degree. And it's, you know, Harvard has all this kind of, you know, regalia and, you know, the speech and the Latin. And, all and so they announced the honorees with such fanfare. They started his off with the story that he used the furniture in his mother's living room to finance yes. his first newsletter. That was just, that's where he started. That was, I, I cried. It, it just, and, yeah. and here he was sitting, getting an honorary degree with all these brilliant people, famous people, and there was John Johnson. It just was very touching to me. And I think it shows the brilliance of John Johnson that he overcame all these things. And, you know, he was able to go out and get for his Negro Life magazine a national sponsor in, I believe it was Zenith, who took a chance with Negro Life. But, I, you know, I know my grandfather who was a brilliant man who could have done anything and didn't have those opportunities. He would always collect the Ebony's and Jets because it was the way we chronicled our life back then. There was no Internet. And so what John Johnson did for black culture, black stars, it was it, it was our... It was our People magazine. Absolutely. So I, I love that. I love that moment. What really makes Kevin Frazier angry? Ooh, what really makes me angry? Uh, <laughs> um, mean people make me really mad. The, the world, life is too short and the world is, you know, too hard on people already. I hate mean people. And when I come across mean people, it, it, when I hear people that are constantly yelling or they don't care or it really makes me mad. And you see in television, for some reason, there's an overabundance of those kind of fools who just want to yell all the time and they don't care. And, you know, and it's like they talk to people anyway. And I'm like, it's not it's really not that complicated. You don't got to kill nobody over this. We've covered a little bit of this, but I want you to put it in two sentences or less. Put in two sentences what success means. It means everywhere I go, I'm able to take my grandfather, 
a great aunt and all my ancestors with me into places that they would have never been accepted in or allowed in. And I think about that every single day. Last question. When someone comes across an article written about you a hundred years from now, <laughs> what do you want that article to say about you? Loved people and was a great dad. The other stuff is great, but great father, love people. Yeah. Hey, Kevin, I'm going to leave it at there, man. I tell you, thank you so much for joining me. So inspirational, by the way. I'm so proud of you every time I see you on the screen uh, because I feel like I know what you've been through and you represent us. And I know it's not easy to be where you are, given what you look like. It's not easy for us to get there, man. Mad and it's the same for you. I watch every uh, every day. You're on our feed. You know that. So I watch <laughs> you on the feed. And so it is. Uh, it's the weird thing of just like seeing you and just stopping for a moment and just looking and being like, yes. I love you, man. Thank you. Love you. All right. All right take care. Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith is hosted by Dr. Ian Smith, associate producer Lauren Turner, executive producer Ian Smith, edited by Ken Johnson, executive producers Omar Thompson, Andrew Kalb, and Ken Johnson. Find the Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.